Hello, welcome to this new podcast we got here, 50 Ways to Hate an Album with... Indeed. Yeah, indeed, with... Uh, my name's Marv, and your name is... I'm Maz, or Merritt, or James. Thank you, I mate. mean, that's three already, so... Can I call you all three? <laughs> you could call me all three at different intervals if you'd like. Okay, I'll stick with Mez, so... Um, I like that. Yeah, exactly, exciting times. It means means honey in Hungarian. <laughs> So okay. I'm, I'm hyped for that. Don't get any ideas. I mean, I might call you honey, but yeah, whatever. Um, okay. Yeah, so we got this new podcast idea. I kind of had it floating in my brain for ages because I really don't... I'm fascinated by like what people call bad albums or like terrible albums, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Because you just think, well, how bad can something really be? Like, I can't think of a piece of music where... I've had to shut it off. It's like completely unlistenable. Um, and yeah, it just kind of started like a fascination of, well, okay, how bad really is it? So if you listen to these certain albums that you see in critic polls and in classic rock, all these magazines and things, and then you have a little bit of a kind of this and you think, well, okay. Oh yeah, that must be bad. Oh, that is a little bit bad, but I don't know. Yeah. Then you kind of buy into certain bands and you think, absolutely. Yeah. You think, it ain't that bad. This is, this is, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, it. Uh, I think a lot of the time we're influenced um, by what our our peers sort of say in terms of like what's good or bad. Yeah. And ultimately, if I'm talking to somebody who's not too hyped in music, or they're not too into a certain band, I hate doing it. I hate pulling the card. Mm. However, a good a good way to sort of bat people down is to say something like. If they're just saying like, "Oh, this is crap. This is just crap," and given no reasoning, you could kind of respond with, "Well, music is art because expression is art, and therefore it cannot be criticised because it's all to do with the context." And you can also add in the argument of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I love it, honey. So, I love it. Yeah, there, there we go. There we <laughs> go. So that's that's kind of my stance on it. I think it's like the whole guilty pleasures thing, you know, when someone says something like. Oh, I don't really want to admit it, but I really love that song. And you're like, well, why don't you want to admit it? I, yeah. I, th- I think it's important to accept songs that you like because, uh, I mean, it, has a bit, it seems a bit silly feeling guilty for enjoying a piece of music. You know, somebody's created that. People have worked on yeah. that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think people put a lot of importance on sort of status perhaps or social standing when it comes to oh he listens to, to that you don't want to you know what i mean you know what i'm getting at does that make sense it makes complete sense i think you know when you're younger um if i think about primary school or something and i liked a bit of pop music like spice girls was huge when i was about eight years old and i mean they're fantastically written pop songs but absolutely you know you would be embarrassed if people knew you liked it and you know because you weren't this <laughs> or you weren't that and you had a kind of you're still trying to be a you know a person in this world and build up who you are um so i think yeah, a guilt, for me a guilty pleasure was more of like a younger thing and then you get older and especially as us two being musicians in lovely covid times we've got a lot of time to lovely. listen to music yeah um <laughs> a lot of free yeah, time you know i think you have you see how the sausage is made so to speak so you yeah, have a yeah, way definitely. deeper understanding of okay I understand why this works. Maybe it's not for me. I think it's more like that, isn't it? Like you have a meal and you kind of go, that ain't for me, that one. I can leave that there, but you don't think it's yeah. terrible. 
I think that as you get older, you tend to be kinder about the bands that you listen to, the music generally you're listening to. I mean, I'm way too kind about the bands I like. Yeah. If if I'm if I like something, I like something, you know. Yeah. If I don't enjoy it as much or I've listened to it too much as overplayed, I'll tend to avoid it. I won't say I hate it or I dislike it or oh no, nah, I can't stand that. It's just a case of picking out like a diamond in the rough, but not so much in that same sort of yeah, it, it, to me that's how it. To me that's how it how it works. That's how I'll, the bloody. That's how the cookie crumbles in the west in the. That in is the how south, the yeah. cookie crumbles. Yeah, you know, He's correct there. Eloquently, correct eloquently. So, at last, at last. Oh, that's the first one. So, just as a that's just as a one. side note to anyone listening, um, we're obsessed with the Office UK. Now, I I yes. introduced it to you in uh, probably two thousand and probably two thousand and fifteen sixteen. And you'd never heard it. Must it must be around that time. It's definitely yeah. about our third year of uni. Um, and you were hooked and it just became an obsession. And it, we yeah. just, qu- we had to quote it anytime we could in any scenario up to the point yeah. now where we're in this office group and it's like any photo that comes in, you know, people will caption a random photo of Boris Johnson. And it's like, you just have to get it. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to every single, like it gets ridiculous to the point of something completely unrelated completely unrelated has got to be like crowbarred in yeah. to to make it have some sort of relevance to this to this show but <laughs> you know Ricky Gervais, Stephen Martin Merchant, oh, Merchant. Stephen oh, Martin no. Stephen Martin who's, who's Stephen Martin? I mean, well, great guy, I, great I, guy. I've mentioned him now, I've mentioned him now <laughs> Roy's um, but yes, so back to the point back to the point of what we uh back. we're gonna put an office um number so every limiter. every yeah, limiter so every time we do an office yes. quote because we promised ourselves it would just be an absolute shambles if we just yes. were just to go wild and just talk whatever we wanted to so we're gonna try and limit it down but we're gonna keep it Absolutely. we're gonna keep a count of how many we do not try and fit ourselves too much um yeah and that's the game that's two so <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we'll keep that. Anyways, we'll, we'll yeah. introduce ourselves. So, yes, you go ahead. I'll go ahead. Okay, let me have a little sippy. You go ahead. A bit of throat coat tea's lovely. So, my name's Marv. Um, I am thirty-one years young. As you know, I like that. I love it. Um, I've been playing music since I was about eight years old. I think I inherited a little keyboard from my sister, and I remember the first songs mm. I ever played were the Beverly Hills Cop theme song, so the Axel F one fantastic lovely and uh let it be by the beatles because it was like pre-programmed on the on the keyboard itself so it would show you the notes on the little kind of midi thing and i just play it um and yeah i mean amazing grew up listening to stuff like that like the beatles and um then got into guitar about 17 which is relatively late considering um and then just try to hone my skills as much as I can, you know, learn all these Beatles songs, Chili Pepper songs, um, just obsessed with like chord changes and like trying to get them to sound right on this battered acoustic, you know, and yes, it's amazing. So go to uni, uh, Bim, meet you. I meet yep. you with your tuxedo shirt. And can't go wrong. And can't go Hawaiian wrong. shorts. What a uh, character. They'll live forever. Live forever. They'll live forever. <laughs> and, um, yeah, go to uni. So I do the guitar course, meet you. Uh, three years of that. 
great time. Loved it. Three years of that. Three years of that, yeah. Well, it was great, you know. Made a lot of best friends, met a lot of good mates, and met you as well, so added bonus. Um, And then we formed a function band, got signed up to an agency, and started doing gigs, started gigging a lot, becoming professional musicians, which, you know, for me was the point of going to university. You know, I was working as Absolutely. a I was working as a butcher, a vegetarian butcher, um, which was amazing. Smelling coming and smelling a fish and meat and liver. Lovely, lovely. Um, and yeah, you know, that started picking up. That's really good. So we we really honed in our performances and planned playing the same songs over and over and over again, but like playing weddings and first dances, the nervousness of playing that and make sure and getting it right and I don't know, earning a good good living and with all of us being really good mates, so it made it really, really good. But for now, that hasn't been our, you know, our, our income's been taken away, so we've been trying to do other things, hence why we're doing this podcast, you know, kind of something yeah, to do. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's that's really about me then, so how about you, Steve Martin? <laughs> you've, just, you've just condensed 30-odd years into about two minutes, and I respect there you it. Go. You have to, res- you have to respect it. the game, you know? Go on, Mesh. You, yeah, you tell us your story. Um, okay, so I am. My actual name's James, but I am known as Mez for of various reasons. Um, I started playing guitar when I was about fifteen, um, but music was always very prevalent in the house. My mum is a massive Queen fan, and she she's very much into Genesis, Status Quo. You know, the classic sort of rock giants dare i say mm. of the time um and yeah she's into more modern things as well she likes robbie williams she also likes neo which oh. uh interesting mix yeah. interesting mix go on max but i do like neo myself <laughs> i do i find myself bopping along these days when i'm <laughs> cleaning the checkouts in asda because i cannot play live at this moment in time uh, the supermarkets um, are available for jobs so yeah <laughs> it, it, of course, of course, we are we are not. Um, what's the word? We're not uh, sponsored. We're, this is not sponsored. We're welcoming of all shops. So. <clears throat> all shops, yeah. all shops, equal opportunities for retail. That's <laughs> what I say. <clears throat> so um, yeah, she. I status quo were the first band I got into heavily, yeah. heavily, and um, I believe I first saw them when I was about thirteen, fourteen. Zam- Bristol. Um, that was in Bristol, yeah. It was at the Colston Hall. Okay. Um, so I, re- I remember entering the room and there's that exciting feeling, you know, there's that, there's that energy and you get the backing track come on and the lights go down and you're kind of just like, so, you know, it's, it, it, nothing can replace it, that feeling. You know, guys, some people enjoy a crowded bar which I also do, I would like to add. Some people, not at the moment though, some people enjoy um, a football stadium uh, and and having been to see a few rugby matches, that energy is there. But for me, it's just that stale smell of someone's dropped a beer 4,000 years ago (laughs) on the floor. There's hundreds of sweaty bodies packed tight into a small space. I'm drawing you a picture here. I like it. Um, and, um, you know, the lights go down, the intro music begins, and, um, yeah, they come out. There's, there's no other feeling like it. But 
at 14 years old, not many friends, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. Francis Rossi, the lead guitarist and vocalist of Status Quo, comes out on stage, stands front center, and starts banging out Caroline. Uh, that was it. I was sold. It's cliche. It's You've heard it a million times before, but it was really one of those fork-in-the-road moments. Caroline is the song, right? Not a woman. No, Caroline is the song. Because that would have been a t- totally different, illegal show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. very different reality yeah. to a young, impressionable 14-year-old <laughs> Mez. I could tell you that. Earlip, mum, so, he's banging Calorine out. So. Yeah, yeah, thanks for taking it there. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I saw that, I think I've seen them about five times now, all in all. Um, I've been to countless other shows, and again, when I was about 14, 15, um, status quo were the only band that mattered. I couldn't care less about anybody else. Yeah. And then I heard Enter Sandman by Metallica. Now, that turned my world upside down. And that was when I started getting into Slayer, mm. Lamb of God, Dream Theater. And yeah, a number, they just, they just all, like I said, it's the cliche kind of changed my life, music changed my life, keeps me alive, you know, that sort of thing. But it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, I think we had this discussion the other day where we said that if music weren't to exist, we would not want to be here. I mean, I mean, yeah, like, obviously, we're not going to, like, you know, exit the world, so to speak. No, but no, no. I just, I can't. But given the option. I cannot, given the option, I cannot imagine not, not, it's, it's like people who say they don't like music. It really yeah, boggles my brain my because it's it's yeah it's there's just so much pleasant music out there like there's there's so much music yeah. there's surely gonna be something that you that you bound to like that blows my mind a little bit because I had a friend like that at school they were kind of like nah not really bothered about music so that um yeah that confuses me somewhat yeah definitely, quite a lot definitely but um yeah so I left school with the idea of going to Fowler's in Bristol city centre um, to start an apprenticeship. And that was when I met a... Well, I'd met this this chap before, but he'd locked himself out of his house and he was playing guitar. Yeah. And by seeing him there, that made me made me start talking to him because he played guitar. And I was I was learning at the time. A friend of mine was teaching me and I kind of thought that's that this guy's cool. He plays music, like you know the, the the classic story. And we became best friends. He encouraged me to go to Bath College to do the music uh, performance course, and we formed a band. I we were really happy with the music that we made. Uh, well, it was mostly him by that point, but and from then on, I went to BIM, and the story pretty much are it, it sort of goes along the same sort of dynamic and road as yours does now marv you know i joined bim i had direction all i knew was i wanted to play my guitar and make money that was my only direction so when you guys approached me well i say you guys it was you who approached me and invited me to join it was a fantastic opportunity and i couldn't turn it down and here we are what five years on nearly six I mean, we've been gigging for, for well, for I would say four years, 2016 to 2020. Um, okay. Technically, I guess five if it's 2021. Obviously, there's no gigs, but 
You, I yeah, think you got in there like 2015 was probably when we asked you, yeah. right? So that sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. And we can kind of now talk about, I guess, get into the juice of the matter. The juice, yes. the bad songs, the things, oh, terrible, whatever. But um, <laughs> I pulled up a set list that we had, and okay, um, again, like I don't really. Um, I've played these songs so much, or we have, to the point where I don't really even think about them. Because when you're, when you're performing, you're, you're focused on how you look, you're focused on how you're playing, and if there's any audience interaction, you feed off of that. So then it, it, it almost negates what you're playing. Um, but we play these songs so much, you know, um, that anytime, like, anytime you go anywhere and you hear them, you're just like, oh, not again. there's just not an audible again. sigh, yeah. Um, the only two that I can think from the, from this like kind of typical set as we play, which I just can't stand, "Happy" by Pharrell Williams and "Chelsea Classic. Dagger" by the Fratellis. <laughs> I cannot stand those songs. I don't know what it is. I don't know. "Chelsea Dagger" we haven't played that much. We only played it when we went to like a ski season um, with like a party band, and that was a good thing. Again, people go nuts for that song. It's it's a bit like oh they love it. It's a bit like Seven Nation Army, but. I think it's the structure. I think that there's not a lot of yeah. like meat to the song and no, it just drives me mad. Like even when Robbie, our drummer starts playing like the, the drum intro, I'm just like, Oh, there's <laughs> something about it. Just a little bit of my soul dies. This is the thing. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly simple song um, on guitar. Anyway, it might be different on other instruments. Um, it um yeah it's it, what i liked about playing it and i don't like the sound of the song it's very sort of not my area of specialism if you like um it's just straight up rock which you'd think is mine but it's it's i don't know um it's very simple incredibly simple there's no time spent looking at the fretboard yeah. you're you're focusing solely on the crowd and that's what i enjoy enjoyed about that song yeah um but i'd say in terms of musical content that's probably and i'm not i'm not getting on a soapbox or oh i listen to music that's so much better (laughs) than the folk that listen to that rubbish it's it's a case of it's not really my thing it doesn't offend me but obviously it has an effect on you which is interesting I, i i just don't know what it is it might just be the inane chant of like the universal like everyone can sing it like duh, 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 duh. like I, I don't know what it is yeah. maybe i just picture like football hooligan crowds just singing it and that very much the audience i feel yeah, for that just, kind of song it's just something that just i don't think i'll ever get over i think i've got an, a well, disease with no. that song <laughs> yeah i mean i i do know what you mean but again i i i agree with you it's not something i'd i'd sit at home and sort of start chilling out and then like oh what do i want to hear chelsea dagger that's what i want to hear right now da, 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 da. <laughs> but i think i think it was very in a way you could look at it as a very cleverly written piece of music because it is catchy it doesn't outstay as welcome it's quite short yeah therefore you know it's it's easy it's an earworm it's easy to get in people's heads you find yourself humming it i mean i can't say i have but i'm sure it is one of those you know um so again there is obviously coming on to our points eventually 
there is some eventually. eventually there is some some sort of genius and thought that's gone into writing that sort of song i think because you can hum it you remember it yeah and again the effect it has on new, the crowds that we would play in france you know Absolutely. all those like bars and open bars and stuff was like they would just go mental for it. They would absolutely love it. So I can't doubt yeah. the song's power, but like you said, no. any of the songs we play uh, typically or used to play, I, I, I never just want to hear them on my casual time. It's almost like I'm bringing work back home. Perfect segue into terms of like what we kind of want absolutely. to talk about, you know? So yes, I, I don't want this to be a podcast where we're just slagging off albums. No. And like, this album's rubbish. It's so poor. You can't do this. And this person's rubbish. It's like far from it. I think what we're going to do is we're going to each week, we'll talk about a different angle of why an album might be considered bad or albums yeah. and pivot off of one um, and kind of stick up from kind of defend them. Because in my mind, absolutely in my mind, there's no such thing as a bad album. Um, I have yet to listen to any piece of music where I'm like, I physically can't anymore. This is the worst thing in the world. So kind of in a way, I kind of want people to kind of give me albums that I'm like, yep, that's the one and kind yeah, of prove wrong. But is. I just feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've listened to a lot of music, same as you. And I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, yeah. I'm good with it. So okay, yeah, yeah I want yeah. to talk okay. about new music first, things that we've been listening to, good or bad, just a general chit chat. So yeah, okay, um, okay. Foo Fighters, Medicine at Midnight came out very, very Indeed. recently. Uh, we both listened to it. Um, me being the more, the bigger Foo Fighters fan out of the both of us. Um, Absolutely. It's weird. I wouldn't say like I love them. They're, my, they're like my top 10 favorite bands, but I've listened to every record they've done. I follow them. Um, I have a big amount of respect for them, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I'm a Foo Fighters lover in <laughs> denial, you know? But um, I think it's... I don't think you're in denial somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's better than the last two records. I think it's um, just under wasting light in terms of how good it is. Yeah, I think, that's fair. I think there's a lot more variety as well. Um, it almost Definitely. gets to like, there's like Paramore sounding, like the self-titled era of Paramore, that kind of loud drumming, synthy openness yeah. is, is is very paramore there's like a very john mayer-esque song um the john mayer song's called helpless and i think it's the same key as well and okay similar solo similar kind of sound it's like a it's almost like the stevie ray vaughan 80s oh, sound, give it to me but like kind of modernized yeah. a little bit it's interesting because i i i know foo fighters you're definitely the bigger fan um so it's nice for me as a very sort of met metal and hard rock sort of centered musician, and that's sort of the 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 stuff I go. It's my they're my go tos. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my my overall thoughts on new Foo Fighters. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um. On first listen, there was nothing I could immediately remember, which is, I, I believe that's something me and you kind of have a gauge of is in terms of like, not was it a good album, but can I remember this? You know, can I, can I hum this? And there probably are plenty of songs on there like that. It's just, I tend to listen to my albums when I'm doing something else, yeah. you know, unless it's an album I already inherently know. Um, I mean, it kind of depends. But uh, no, I was I was pleasantly surprised. 
I don't know. There was a lot of experimentation on that album, Concrete and Gold, that to me, I didn't necessarily hear it. Whereas on Medicine at Midnight, I'm hearing more of it. The backing vocals with female backing vocals, um, different guitar sounds, um, different drum sounds, drum loops, drum samples. Like to me, it's way more eclectic. Yeah. And I I really like Shame Shame, which seems seems to be the weakest track on the album everyone is saying or it's a weak single but i only listened to, i listened to it once when it came out on the audio on like a youtube audio video um and then an snl performance and then that was it i could just remember everything the whole structure every, the melody and like i don't get that a lot and that was no. one of those songs yeah yeah but you still enjoyed it i still enjoyed it mez bleed now there we go there we go so again that despite the fact a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, I don't really, you know, I think this is the weakest track on the album. Mm. You still like it. I still so, like again, it. Again, there we go. And that's the podcast, so. And that's the perspective <laughs> of the podcast. Um, Weezer, one of my favorite. Weezer. One of my favorite bands. Definitely the one that's made my favorite album of all time, Pinkerton. Um, cue all the Blue Album haters or the lovers, whatever. Oh, Blue Album's better. Oh, oh. Whatever. I mean, I will argue that to death, but Whatever. I am a big fanboy of the Blue Album. Oh, so. it is perfect power pop. But they released a, well, I think they surprise released album called OK Human. Um, oh, I wasn't aware of this. Yeah. Well, let me drop some knowledge on you, boy. So Give me, give me some um, knowledge. I want to hear it. So they had Van Weezer coming out, which is like a heavy metal record for yeah. Weezer standards. End of the game sounded really, really good. Um, kind of what we'd expect. But then they dropped this record, OK Human, and I didn't know that I wanted that from Weezer until I actually heard it. It's just, oh. it's just piano, uh, piano and orchestra, recorded at Abbey wow. Road. No electric guitar, some acoustic Big guitar wow. in it. Oh, it's so very good. It's it's just so good. I think it's the best thing they've done since the White Album. I would even maybe push it higher than the White Album. Wow. It's just, wow. it has emotion, it has feeling. Uh, he's talking about him, talking about himself, which is, I guess, what any Weezer fan really wants. Um, Absolutely. All my favorite songs, absolute tune. Um, so if you haven't heard that single, go listen to it, Mez, and anybody else for listening, you know what I'm saying? Your mum, my mum, both our mums. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I've, I listened to it today. I just want to, I want more of it. That's fantastic. That's exactly what you want from an album. Exactly. You want more. Exactly. You want more. Any other yes. albums you've listened to? Or well, tunes? Yeah, I still drop into Lamb of God from time to time. Not necessarily just for albums, but for the odd song. And I gave their latest release being last year, which was a self-titled album, Lamb of God. I gave that a re-listen. Now, initially, I found myself not underwhelmed, but kind of just my attitude towards it was, it's more Lamb of God, therefore it's welcome. But I gave it a re-listen, and I've got to say, it is, it is fantastic. The way they've matured as a band is is perfect. I think I think what they write now is not superior, but I think it's on par with some of their some of their biggest tunes. Definitely, I don't think they'll attain. I mean, there's always that argument of oh, Metallica will never release Master of Puppets again. And no, they won't. But that was a moment in time. That was what they did then. And being a fan of the band, I don't think it's just about whether you like an album or not. 
to my mind, despite the fact that most of the bands I listen to have an enormous fan base, I think a lot of it is to do with I would like to help sustain these band members. They have provided me a service, which is enjoying their music, and I would like to continue supporting them yeah. in their venture of producing that music. Um, and that's I'm, obviously I know they're they're on a lot higher of a level than someone trying to break through. So my support may or may not be detriment to their production of another album. However, if everybody thought that, none of our favorite bands would be anywhere near where they are now. Yeah. So, I, yeah, like I said, I gave it another listen. And I am, like I said, very impressed. Um, if you're into very heavy, fast music, I could not recommend it enough. And, I mean, any Lamb of God, dive into their discography dive into it because you will love it and if you don't then that's just not going to happen you'll love it that's that's the beginning <laughs> and end <laughs> you know you'll come around um, with an old sock and a bag of nickels absolutely not see like i said that old sock and a bag of nickels rather than nickels in an old sock so you'll have an old sock i guess to put on their nose so they pass out and then Give them a bag of nickels that they can't spend in England. Where are you going with this? No idea. Where are you going? No, Where are you going? Absolutely no idea. You're like 14-year-old Mez. You've got no direction right now. Yeah, he circled that back. I've, I've come back to that. <laughs> so we asked ourselves, are there any CDs or albums that we've got in our collections that we think are terrible, we think are bad? Um, and I've definitely found one. I think you've definitely found one. I mean, I yes, I do have one. For you, um like you said, you don't necessarily buy or keep albums that you don't like, whereas for me, yeah. I like having it all. I don't know why. Um but the one I've got is called Everything is Wrong by Moby. Um it came out in, Okay. It came out I believe in 1995, which again is going to be a big central theme to this. Um Yes, podcast. it is. Yeah, it's very very weird. Um I only bought this because there's one song called God Moving Over the Face of the Waters, which I'd seen on a skate video called Birdhouse the End. But yeah, and I remember listening to it. I think I've only listened to the album twice all the way through. And the last time I did, I think I was driving back from rehearsal and I was just, oh, it just dragged. Oh, it was just, nothing just seemed to end. And yeah. the production was seemed really flat. And it was all over the place. It was like dance music techno music and then it'd be like some weird lo-fi industrial metal sounding music and it was just kind of it i didn't know what it was meant to be like who it was trying to be um yeah and then when i looked up reviews and things it's like his most critically acclaimed album people are like yeah wow. it's amazing it kickstarted all this um he's underwater i'm showing you right now look. yeah i can see that um, i can see kind that. looks like a monk because he's got orange orange t-shirt on stuff and yeah in the liner notes as well um he he's put all these like animal rights facts um now i'm vegan myself um he is so i'm not i agree with everything this he's saying and i you know especially from 1995 but i guess it's a lot more of a stigma i guess seem to be more of a stigma to be vegan or plant-based living or to not necessarily care about animals but to be an animal rights activist um of but course. yeah, I can just I could I can already see people being switched off by it because of 
because of that liner yeah. notes. But then again, you would have bought the album, so you would have bought it, read it, and been like, "Oh," and then got mad. But um, <laughs> what would you have been like? You'd been like, "Oh." Nice. But yeah, it seems to be that this is a really, really good album. Everyone's saying this is a good one. So I'm going to listen to it all the next week. I'm going to do as much research as I can and find out the reasons why certain songs are why they are. And the the more I invest in a group or an artist or songs, usually the better I find them. So maybe I'll quite like it. But I mean, I like one song off of it. So is it a terrible okay. album? Who knows? But that's just me. Nine ninety five. Anyway, to you, nineteen ninety five as well. It is. It is indeed. So, the only album, and as I said earlier, I am very, very kind about the bands I listen to. Uh, and I think being a musician as well, you can you can have that empathy uh, to some degree in terms of recording an album and writing an album and contextual issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the only one I could dig out. That I, for me, I just, it's not that I can't stand it. It's not that I hate it. It's got to be X Factor by Iron Maiden. And it's it's just not Iron Maiden to me, you know? And I mean, you, you'll get the same for a lot of Iron Maiden fans. <clears throat> if you're just getting into the band, you won't be listening to that. You will not be listening to that. You'll be going for the classics. However... For somebody who has gone into Iron Maiden, who wants the complete discography, and I mean complete, then you will buy it, and you'll also probably buy the album after it. Now, contextually, obviously, there is a different singer to Bruce Dickinson. My opinion is that he he was the wrong replacement at the wrong time. He should not have re- replaced Bruce Dickinson. Now, that's not to say he's a bad singer, because he is definitely not a bad singer. He's a great singer in his own right. However, he cannot sing Iron Maiden classics, it seems. This album. One or two songs are a bit like a diamond in the rough. A bit like you were saying with Moby. Yeah. However, most of it, it was recorded in Steve's Barn, which was a studio at the time. They had an unusual producer, a guy called Nigel Green. Um, And at the time, they were using just not people who who they weren't used to. So, I mean, Martin Birch was a big name for Maiden in terms of production. Um, And yeah, it just sounds weird. It's almost like they became a parody of themselves around that time. And speaking as the 15-year-old Mez, who adored Iron Maiden, I'm so happy they came back around... I came back with Brave New World because that was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, it's it, it outstays its welcome. It's nowhere near as hooky. The sound is unusual. The guitars in places sound a bit weird to me. Um, yeah, it's just not Iron Maiden. And that's why a lot of people tend to disregard it completely. Completely. I, I don't disregard it. It happened. Deal with it. <laughs> And the way I deal with it is the CD, which I don't have to hand, but you are aware of the cover. You know what I it do, looks yeah. like. Even in even in the artwork, would you agree with me if I said they took an unusual direction compared to what they'd done before? Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's not Eddie, is it? The other the other one. It is. It is Eddie. It's Eddie, ah. but it's just a very different iteration. Sorry, I was thinking of Virtual Eleven. Is that right? 
and nine, nine, I do believe, is the album after that, which is also Eddie. Oh, but... I thought that wasn't. Yeah, it's got it's no, no, it's, it's a lot more um real to me. It looks yeah, more it's real, like computer generated. Yeah, isn't and he's it? kind of like in like a um electric chair of sorts, and he's got his it's very weird. His yeah, scalps coming off, and it's like he's holding onto a jetpack. It's kind of weird, but yeah, I don't know. It, almost strange. in a way like. It's like they were trying to, you could tell the kind of grunge industrial new metal thing yeah. had kind of come in. They were trying to fit in stuff, but um, yeah. I found the drums to be, that they sounded a lot different on that record. And they did. the hooks are just, like someone like Falling Down, he's just singing Falling Down like about 20 times. Man on the edge. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a very re- re- repeat offender on that whole album. And I believe, I believe, "Man on the Edge" is the single for that album. So, for them, for guys listening at home or wherever you are, go and listen to "Man on the Edge," and you'll understand exactly what we mean. Whereas before, they had "The Trooper," they had "Number of the Beast," "Run to the Hills." You've got "Man on the Edge," <laughs> and at that time, sorry, Steve, but at that time. If that's the single you're putting out, I don't want the album. <laughs> but again, slightly contradicting myself there. I don't have anything against it. It doesn't offend me. It's just it's just not really made. And, but they were going through a difficult time. They lost two incredibly big factors in terms of their songwriting, their live performances. Adrian Smith left a few albums before, uh, replaced by the incredible Yannick Years. Very, very, very good guitarist. Um, and they, you know, they soldiered on and I respect that. I respect that. And I do own the album. I do own a physical copy. It does not get played often as you can well imagine. Well, it will get played all next week then. So I think what we should do is our little homework. I think think we we can either watch documentaries, get a lot more research into it. And hopefully next week we'll do a little bit of a shorter segment and go, yeah, you know what? Ain't as bad as I thought, or we're going to go... Nope, I still, it's still exactly the Can't same thing. It. And then the whole podcast yeah. is just pointless because we hate that album. But there you go. That's life. <laughs> Sue me, eh? Sue me. Um, <laughs> let's actually get into the kind of episode what we're going to talk about. So um, we're going to center it around St. Anger, which is Metallica's, yes. I don't know what number album it is. It came out in 2003. Um, and... It did indeed. It went number one as it would because it's Metallica. Biggest metal band Biggest in the metal world. Band in the world. And universally, apart from Lulu, which I don't count as a Metallica album, but as. No, it's a collaboration. Yeah, as traditional Metallica albums, that's always rated the worst. Everyone can't stand it. All oh, the snare's terrible and just everything. Oh, the singing's bad and you can't hear the bass and no guitar solos and <clears throat> all the mess. Yeah. All the mess. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's as bad as people think it is, especially now looking back at it like 18 years later. Do you know, interesting. So me and Marv were discussing this episode, what we were going to do, what we were going to discuss. And St. Anger was a big theme around that. Now, it's a very interesting album for a number of reasons. Obviously, they lost longtime bassist Jason Newstead. 
obviously James Hetfield was going through a lot of issues in terms of substance abuse and addiction. And I mean, I mean, come on, like Marv, imagine being the biggest metal band in the world in 2003. Yeah. What a weird place to be. What a weird place to be. Now, I had a discussion with another friend of mine uh, the weekend, and his opinion on it was, um, I don't hate it, but it's just not for me. I don't listen to it. And his reasoning was, because of new metal, because of uh, metalcore and everything else that was coming to light at that time, they were trying to evolve like every other band tries to within that era. However, he thinks they tried to evolve too quickly. Okay. Now, I kind of get where he's coming from there, but me and you, we we know the reasons, the reasons why this album came out and about like it did. Um, a, a songwriting technique they've never ever tried, never ever tried. And when you're the biggest metal band in the world, and um, people love you for one thing and one one alone, that's a bit of a bit of a bold jump. Definitely, and I think um, problem not the problem with Metallica, but the big thing with Metallica is is that you know. I would say each one of their albums is, is completely different. Maybe apart from Load and Reload. Yep. I mean, there are some quieter moments in Reload, but then Mama Said, which yeah. is off of Load, is like basically a country song. Um, I think I think it's yeah. great. Um, so I, do I like think it. especially with a band like, like Metallica, I lump them in with the Beatles, even Smashing Pumpkins, um, where people stop at a certain era, that their favorite era is this. So, yeah. you know master puppets backwards or they stop at and justice for all or they stop at the black album and then people say the black album's terrible and i'm like well i understand uh, i understand that if you're a metal purist and you know you just want fast hard music that's not where to get it yeah. but you can't deny no. that the black album changed changed music and changed how metal was perceived just forever um and then yeah load and reload kind of mtv they had to get through that alternative grunge phase which i feel like they survived whereas a lot of other bands didn't um yeah bon jovi kind of scraped through i'd say warren yeah, they got through warren well. didn't you know motley crew no. kind of failed but that's because their lead singer left um but yeah and then, you know and then they had this big long gap where i was like right they've done reload in 1997 which was kind of like an offshoots album from the sessions of load then they did snm yeah. which i know you can't stand and oh. i don't i don't mind it but i think it just gets a bit cluttered sometimes i like the ambition of it yeah <laughs> to me snm so i don't want to bang on about this but 16 year old mez i even had the t-shirt master of puppets with the with the album listing on the back i was obsessed i said about enter sandman you dig a little bit deeper Oh, Metallica, Master of Puppets. That is that is where it becomes. Yeah. Um, I also had a period of time where I tried to argue you down when I was saying Ride the Lightning was better. Um, interesting, interesting. Just not the case, let's be honest. They're both fantastic albums. Very good albums. Um, and that leap from Kill Em All to Ride the Lightning got to be one of the biggest leaps in terms of first to second in, album. In, in every single category. Every single category. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely, but um, yeah. So to me, S and M again, 
16-year-old Mez, well into Master of Puppets, it's heavy, it's fast, so I was a little bit purist at that point. But when you're in your in your early teens, you don't really perceive things as you should in a lot of ways. And then I heard S&M. Um, Master of Puppets does not need an orchestra. It's just not needed. It's not necessary. And to my mind, I think we had this discussion with Bruno, uh, an old flatmate of ours, and he agreed with us. The orchestration is bad. Like it is to me. To me, it's not well written. I mean, I'm not an or I'm not an orchestral expert. I do not play in orchestras. I very rarely listen to that sort of music. But it's supposed to add to the songs that already exist. And to my mind, all it does is take away from them. That's all it does to me. And, you know, there's probably, in fact, I know for an absolute fact, it's a very, very popular record. And when they did S&M 2, again, popular again. Number number one, uh, yeah. I can... I, yeah, exactly. I can... No. It's another one of those X Factor albums for me. I just can't come to grips with it. So maybe I could give that a re-listen this yeah, week Yeah, you could well. load your play with two but, albums, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But no, it just it, it doesn't excite me. It doesn't leave me wanting mm. more. It doesn't. However, all this said, No Leaf Clover, love it. Absolutely love it. But I think that is simply because that's not on Master of Puppets. That's <laughs> not like super fast. That's not, so was, was it written for us? Yeah, you had, you had Minus Human, you had No Leaf Clover. There were two songs yeah. written specifically for S&M. Which, yeah. um, so, and then if you look at the, the lineage there, then, so I think minus human is in C standard or drop C and then, and then like I that. disappear has the snare switched off at the back or turned off at the back. Um, okay. Or snare turned off. That's the right term. Come on. Um, yeah, just turn it you off. Put, mate. You put turn them two off. together and that's St. Anger, you know, yeah. like Absolutely. If you listen to I Disappear Now, you'll realize the snare has been, you know, clicked off and you're like, oh, that's St. Anger. But how come? I think it's just because it's there all the time and he's playing the snare like constantly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, absolutely. No Leaf Clover. I do like that song. I am a big fan of that song. But the rest of it, uh, nah, I'm, I'm going to leave it. I think we we normally say I could take or leave it. No, I'm I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Um, but no, and I, I, I'll tell you what, I will at some point give it a re-listen because as we've already said, I, I don't like it, but that doesn't necessarily mean to say it's a bad album. What makes a bad album? Well, I mean, that's the whole point of what we're doing here. We'll, we'll talk about it. I think, yeah, exactly. I just think there's so many other factors. I think the game of music, it's so personal, it's so subjective and, um, yeah, you know, you don't want to risk offending anybody. You don't want to say this one's crap, this one's rubbish. But <clears throat> it can it can literally be from anything. So um, yeah, I think the whole point of using say anger as well is like um, we want to talk about like band member changes. You know, how does a how yeah. does a how does a member of a band really affect how a band's work is perceived? You know, there's so many different reasons why someone might leave um and who they are and what they contribute to the band so you know with jason newstead leaving who was the bass player and this was 2001 um you know he wrote i think he wrote like had like four writing credits yeah blackened he didn't have a lot yeah blackened yeah my friend in misery um 
Didn't he also have the riff for Through the Never? Was that him? I'm not sure. I don't think that was him. Okay. But um, we can always check that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, not contributing to the songwriting in terms of majority, like he, he's expendable in that regard. If you've got Hammett, you've got um, Hetfield and Ulrich in that, in that regard. Um, I mean, he took over from Cliff, who, you know, unfortunately passed away and to me does a great job and came, came into yeah. his own, especially live. Like he's a very big presence live. You know, we love watching the YouTube videos, especially on Creeping Death. Oh my god! Like he is—he oh, is sweating. He's nice. oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, he really—I'll tell you what. We there's a particular live performance. You already know the one I'm I talking do. about, where they're playing Creep and Death, and he—he he uses an expletive which I will not use here. We'll try and be clean this episode. He, yeah, it's it's a family friendly <laughs> show. Um, but he's he's on the backing vocals during the bridge or the breakdown, whatever you want to call it, going day, day, day. and he's really putting a hundred and ten percent into that. As much as we've sat and absolutely wetted ourselves <laughs> at that video, he's 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 so much dedication to that, and he's playing the parts and he's playing yeah. them well. So I mean, what speaking as professional musicians, what more do you really want? I think it's a little bit unfair, some of the things in terms of they, all of them took the mick out of him and constantly ragged on him for not being Cliff. Yeah. I think that's very, very unfair. I think that's very unfair. And I, yeah, I, I think Jason, Jason could have been treated the way he was, obviously because he wasn't Cliff. But could there have been a songwriting element in there as well? As we said, he only had like four credits. I mean, could that have been part of the part of the thing? Because as as we know, a band can never be a democracy. It's got to be pulled by someone. Yeah. And imagine filling the shoes of someone like Cliff Burton. Imagine trying to fill the shoes of somebody like that as a musician and as an individual. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a like, huge impact on them in terms of they all looked up to yeah. him. He got them onto like things like Simon and Garfunkel and, and non-metal music. He wrote a lot of the harmonies. Um, he's a very unique bass player, you know, very recognizable. Incredibly. Um, so I think maybe part of the hazing was, but, you know, when you're in your mid, you know, mid-20s, 23, 24, 25, and that happens, such a terrible accident happens, you're not going to be emotionally ready for it. And no, definitely they just wanted not. to keep on working and just block that out. And Jason was the scapegoat, really. But you look, but yeah. you see now, and all of these arguments and discussions about, you know, Jason was so good, and I grew up with him, and Rob's rubbish, and even people saying Cliff's rubbish, Jason's the ah. best. And it's like, it's just interesting to me that someone who, I guess, wasn't that pivotal in terms of how the albums necessarily turned out. I think if you remove Jason from, say, the songwriting or from, from the record, let, let those other three people make it and he comes in and plays, I think you'd relatively get the same um, outcome. So for him yeah. to have not so much of an as, as important role to then leave, and as we see on the Some Kind of Monster documentary, all the crap that just funnels out and they just go down to about two members and yeah. they don't know what to do. 
and no. the rug's been pulled out from underneath them from the bass player who was allowed to yeah. write four songs, you know? Exactly, exactly that. And I mean, I, I, so I, I had, I have a little quote here that James Hetfield, Hetfield said, and the exact quote is, you know, the Black Album, the Black Album tour, that was the album of multiple divorces, lots of egos, you know, swollen to, he, he called it, no one was right sized anymore. And when you're in a band that big and your reach is, is that large, it's no surprise. And I mean, what these these guys were in their what late twenties when they were recording the Black Album? Is yeah, I right? want to say they were like between twenty nine and thirty one. I think Lars was twenty nine. So, maybe Hetfield was about thirty thirty one. Yeah, I mean, considering everything they did, like I imagine their egos were quite large. Would you say their egos were still quite large when they got to got to Saint Anger? Oh, oh, because that must incredibly. Have... But again, yeah. you know. Imagine being famous in your early 20s up until you're 40 and up until now, yeah. you know, and everything you're achieving and smashing all these records and number one all the time and you're the biggest metal yeah. band. It's, it has to go to your head. There's no way that it's there's no to. way that you can be prepared for that, you know, and, we, and we're yeah. only watching it. So who yeah. the hell knows what it's like actually being in that. Well, yeah, exactly. And my my point was going to be that, um, you know, imagine having an ego that big. You're you're untouchable. And, you know, I know Hetfield was experiencing substance addiction at the time, and they were trying all these new songwriting techniques that were alien to them. But imagine being that large in, in, in your own head, and all of a sudden the bass player that, you know, you're kind of been taking the mickey out for years. You don't really appreciate him as an individual or a musician all of a sudden he goes and everything goes with mm. it in that moment i mean that famous scene in the some kind of monster movie where lars is showing his dad what they've what they've done yeah. and he basically tells them to delete it like that must have absolutely crushed that dude it must have absolutely crushed him because as far as i'm aware lars's dad is like an absolute staple of support Lars and he listens to everything they do before it goes out he gives an opinion and it's 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 accepted it's appreciated they want to yeah. hear it so I know I, I appreciate you know Jason's gone Hetfield's in rehab at this point um, so it must be pretty difficult as it is to lose like your right hand man when it comes to songwriting yeah. and then all of a sudden your dad turns around and says this is crap this is crap. You don't, you don't, you don't want this. You don't want to release this. So, it, uh, yeah. I mean, from what I got from the Hetfield interview, was very much a case of all he wanted, right from a very young age, was to strive for success. Um, mentioning he's leaving friends behind to play with better musicians, and maybe he tried to apply the same way of thinking with with Jason, like, okay, well, if he don't want to be in it, that's fine. Off he goes. And it completely turned their world upside down. However, they were landed with Rob, who I think is absolutely superb. Absolutely seemed, phenomenal bass player. Amazing bassist. Amazing. Um, and he seems like a really great guy. I mean, I don't know. Rob, come to Bristol, mate. Let's yeah, have a yeah. coffee. Let's discuss it, mate. <laughs> I want to hear your side. Do you know what I Rob, mean? Rob, are you really a great guy? That's what he's 
So. Yeah, I want to know. I want to find um, out, mate. So, yeah, like, you know, I think Hetfield's thing was about control. He said that a lot in interviews that, you know, you squeeze things you lo- that you love until they, you know, die. Um, but it was that whole echo brain thing. Jason Newsom had that side project. And, yeah, you know, he said this in interviews. It's going really well. And managers, Matt Metallica's management were very interested and were like, we'll support this. The singer's great, whatever. Hetfield hears about it not happy about it a couple of days later he jason gets a phone call yeah we're not going to support it just like that's interesting um and i think on the day they were do, recording the classic albums series the black album which i think was recorded on the same day that of like cliff burton's anniversary of his death mad jason newstead says he's quitting so he quits on the day the same day the bass player had died um, I don't that's know whether insane. that's like a little kind of like backstab move on his part, but um, I think he told Kurt first and James Hetfield's response was, because he, he was talking about Echo Brain, James Hetfield was like, other arrangements can be made. So what right. I would imply by that is, is that he can just be replaced. But again, when you're in that vacuum of a band and you're in your early 20s and everything's good and that's all you're doing, you're putting things like your mental health aside, like Jason, you said, says like he met Phil toll, by the way, he was like, he, he met the dude, um, you know, and he's having meetings and, you know, Hetfield's drinking big tall boys in the morning. And he was on pain pills because of his shoulder and, you know, management apparently had come in and he'd already said he quit by this point. And apparently he was crying yeah. like, for like, I don't know, seven, eight hours on the floor. And like Lars is all freaking out. Management come in and they're going, what's going on? They're like, oh, you know, see what's going on. And they just start handing out papers like normal. Like, right, so you've got MTV on here. You've got this on this on this. Apparently, Lars was like, do you see what's going on? Like, can you see our Jesus. band just depleting? And they're like, yep. And they're just carrying on as normal. Just wow. just madness, you know. It is, it is crazy. And obviously, with the pressures of being in a band that big, having to sell records, having to meet your quota, um, under normal circumstances, for for two people like James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich, not a problem. Not a problem, as we've seen many times before. But again, this is part of our point. Context. Context and perspective. Some kind of monster. You can see the strained relationships going on with the arguments between James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. And the pressure of being the biggest band in the world trying to go through a transition... Is only going to add to that. Is only going to add to that. And obviously, James, as I think this is the third time I've said now, substance addiction. Um, Kirk, I don't really think writes a whole load of things anymore. And I don't think he really did in 2002, 2003 for St. Anger. And you're without a basis. You don't have one. And you get the producer who was with you when you did potentially the biggest metal album of all time. One of the, the biggest selling. One of the biggest albums of all time, too. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Um and I could see the uh I could I could see the, the thought process with that. Well, if we get the producer that we had on the black album, then you know, we'll get into a room, we'll see how this goes. But yeah, I actually didn't know about the seven, eight hours screaming on the floor 
the label going, get on with it, come on, let's let's have this, let's let's be having you. I didn't know all about that, so that's uh, that's a scary bit of information there. But it's what happens in the music industry, isn't it? Yeah, again, you know, they they just view songs as product and they want to get stuff out and let's keep things moving and that's why they got the therapist in and you know they got through it they made death magnetic which to me is like a response to the fans being like look we're fine to me i'm not a big fan of that album i still think it's good but i much prefer yeah i think i'd even prefer um hardwired self-destruct you know i do for as, like for as long as it is a little bit bloated in places but i much prefer it I can get past the snare sound now. Um, that doesn't bother me. I like the singing. I like the whole fact that it yeah. is a little bit pitchy in places and it's very emotive. It's one of the most emotive sounding records. Is their angriest sounding record. I think Frantic yeah. is amazing. I like oh, St. Anger, Some Kind of Monster. I Again, I think the first five songs, pretty solid. If, you're, pretty, pretty if you good, don't yeah. want to listen to the whole thing, just go for the first five songs. Frantic to Invisible Kid. And I think... When you get into like My World, Shoot Me Again, Pretty Filler, Sweet Amber, Unnamed Feeling is pretty good. I don't know, it was a single. Purify, I think, is the hardest one to listen to. Yeah, I I got that. I did get that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, um but no, I'm I'm no, sorry, go on. It's all right. You you go ahead, boy. Okay. <laughs> so I'm I'm in the same boat. So frantic, great. I love that. Uh, ironically, I was going to say I love the franticness of it. See, I like what um, you did there. That's that's clever. Yes, that's clever journalism at its heart. Uh, clever, clever journalism. Yeah. <laughs> so I enjoy frantic. Saint Anger, now the classic. I think most of the reason why this album is hated on is not necessarily to do with the musical content, but it is at the same time. I think it's very cool or it was at the time, to hate Metallica. You know, uh, all these new bands are emerging. All these new genres are are, are having having the the sort of base being built for them, and they're going to exist for the next sort of 20, 30 years. They still exist now, a lot of them. Um, And um, it's easy to just go, oh, they're old, they're tired, you know. But St. Anger, as a song... Do you know... I'm going to tell you right now, Marv, do you know the only thing I don't like about St. Anger? The song. The only thing I don't like is the fact that they do a reintro at the very end that is exactly the same length as the intro. I think it overstays its welcome a little bit. Other than that, I think it's an absolutely class Metallica song. Yeah. Quite frankly, given the circumstances and the context of everything going on, it's a miracle those dudes got an album out at all. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, Saint Anger. It could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. Oh, we. we... As consumers, go on. I... As fans, yeah. you you don't you don't think that, do you? You think, what is this? I've invested in this, and now I have to listen to it because I've invested in it. I think the general consensus maybe is that you just want your favorite band to keep doing a better album every single album for the rest of their lives, of and you just realize that that's an impossible target to set on anybody. So yeah. you just have to, yeah. Like the Weezer one I was saying earlier, okay, human, like just wait until you get it, listen to it, experience it, and then make your judgment maybe. And then just go, well, you know, just if you want Master of Puppets, go listen to Master of Puppets. It's fine. This is just like yeah. a snapshot in their life. Um, yeah. And again, like 
things around that time. So, uh, White Stripes Elephant came out. Um, Permission to Land the Darkness came out. Linkin Park, Meet Yora. Um, Speaker Box, Love Below, Outcast. Um, Fever to Tell by Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Mars Volta, Delows in the Crematorium. So, you know, a lot of new, new metal was, I would say, still popular. Maybe it was starting to die off now, 2003, 2004. Um, yeah. And to me, it sounds current in that time period. Um, I think it sounds dated, but I don't mind that. Um, but it was one, well, it was that for me, it was that and ride the lightning that were the two albums that I heard first for Metallica. So very, very, very different and a long, long gap of like 19 years or something. Um, definitely. So to me, I, I guess I had less of a shock with it. I remember when it came out. Again, I remember watching the film when it came out um, or around about that way. So to me, I don't think it's their worst thing they've ever done. I just think if it was shortened a little bit, it would be a better album. And absolutely, again, seen them live at Slane Castle in 2019 and they played Frantic. And to me, it was really good. Like you could feel it. Um, played really well, sung really well. Little mini solo in there and... That was my favorite one off of that record anyway. So I, I enjoyed it. And my mate, Jake, my mate, yeah. Jake was like, oh no, a St. Anger song. And I was like, dude, <laughs> it's banging. Shut up. Nah, he's cool. This, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, what I like about Metallica now, uh, I, I saw a live performance on YouTube. I think it was, I think it was in Europe somewhere. Yeah. And it was very, very current, like the last three years. And they played St. Anger. They played the song. And do you know what? Despite the fact everyone's like, well, two things. One, despite the fact the fans always go, oh, St. Anger, like your mate Jake, yeah. our mate Jake, he's my our mate, mate as Jake. well. Um, despite that, there it, it's like make it's like making a point and sticking by it. You know, they've released that. They accept not everyone likes it, but you know, not everyone wants to hear the same set list. A million times. And point number two, the crowd were going mental. <laughs> so I'll let you be the judge. Who's right? You know, who's right? That dude down the pub who goes, nah, 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 master of puppets, ride the lightning, kill them all. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Look at St. Anger. Or you in the moment when you hear Frantic and go, this is banging. Who's right? I'll tell you who. Everyone's right hey. because that's the whole point of music. <laughs> it's a discussion. It's up for it's up for discussion. It's art. It is expression, and it is to everyone's taste, whatever you fancy. Again, and to me, it was them being honest in their songwriting and their lyrics. Like to me, I'm very attracted to that. So I, I guess relate to an emotional level. To me, it's not it's not lifeless. It's actually very lively. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Definitely. Of that. he's writing what he feels like you just said he's writing what he feels it's emotive you can relate to it exactly and for them to even make an album was like exceptional think about yeah you know your bass player's gone your lead singer's gone to rehab he's come back a different person um i think they're going for four hours a day four hours a day to work can't listen to the music before or after um divorces and getting off of drugs and then trying to keep up, trying to stay relevant, trying to keep up, um, yeah. experiment with new tunings, jamming together, which they didn't really even do until that record. Like actually trying to make songs no. on the spot, you know, 
pretty good going, I would say. You know, pretty good going. Not, not, not bad. And I don't know if they've done it since, but like you say, considering everything, it's 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 not a, not as bad an album as I remember, or as most people remember. I think you'll be delightfully surprised. Definitely, listeners. definitely. I think go listen to it again and yeah. really focus. I would say on the emotiveness about it and. If again, first five tracks, even just do the first five tracks for me. Go, yeah, go for that's that. That's enough. That's enough. Uh, the the others are kind of like B sides. I would just say it's better than you remember it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely better than you remember it. Lead with that. There we line. go. In sync, we are. Eh? Lead now. In sync, wavelengths. <laughs> same page, same library, same postcode. It's all good. See, that sounds like an office quote, but I know it's not. Oh, it's definitely yeah. not. It's all good, baby, baby. Different bands for different podcasts. Listeners. Ooh, we went there. Drunkard. After that, that's two in one. Anyways, I go. found a good... Um, David Lee Roth was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he said a really good thing about... He was discussing about the Sammy Hagar era, um, how that was different. Yep. And um, I'll read this to you now. Do a little segment. Make it all sound fancy. Read it to me. I want to hear it. David Lee Roth. <clears throat> Are some bands like West Side Story, where you can continually revitalize the production with different actors. You can't change the voices, but you can change the story. Um, one of my favorite freeze dries bands in history is Toto. So what he's saying there is that all freeze dry copy looks the same, and it's great. Any of the fellas could walk up to me, and I wouldn't recognize them. Then there are artists that you just can't replace. Rod Stewart. His songs, you could have other people sing them, but it becomes something other. Yeah. Now, Journey. I would recognize the guitar player, but that's because I listened to that part of the band. Steve Perry was not so much a personality as an eloquent sound. It was a universal sound, and if you even get close to it, it's a part of every prom and wedding. Even Tony Soprano. We don't know what happened, but it happened to Journey. That's very significant. You can't play a David Lee Roth song and worry about Tony Soprano. Yeah. Okay. So I quite like what he's saying in terms of, you know, I think if, I'm pretty sure Toto has a different lead singer now, but everyone could leave that band apart from Steve Lukather. And I, to me, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't, wouldn't bother me in my world. I think Steve Lukather maybe needs to be the constant, but maybe, but maybe yeah. even then. They've got the hits. I think it doesn't matter who the hell's in Toto. I, I think you're correct. Um, the charm with Toto, to my mind, is really good um, rock-based sort of pop music um, that is written and played extremely well by some absolutely incredible musicians. Now... Get that coffin, lad. Get that coffin. Sorry. Name me one guy that could replace Steve Lukather now. Oh, I just, I can't. I can't. I just think it's, I think the way he plays is amazing. I think he's just very unique as a player. I mean, you could, he people is. can replicate that, but I just, I just think you need Steve Lukather there. It's going to sound like a parody. It will sound like a cover band without him, I think. Yeah. But again, if, if most of the band is gone, even the lead singers change, you know, 
are you are you in fact watching a tribute band are you watching a cover band with just you know one or two original members where's well, the line that, i think that come yeah i think that comes down to whether you're looking at it from the perspective of who owns the name toto or you're looking at it from the perspective and the point you just made if most of the members are gone who am i watching am i watching steve lucather and friends or am i watching toto <laughs> Yeah, you know, very true, but very true. I, I have no issue with Toto. I love Steve Lukather. You carry on what you're doing, buddy. <laughs> and that's all I have to say on the matter. Thank you very much. I've been James Merritt. <laughs> <laughs> A loving send-off to Steve Lukather there. Great. Indeed, um, indeed. But yeah, so we kind of looked at... Um, I kind of went into a deep dive of trying to find a band with the most member changes... The most I've seen yep. were they're called a rock band called Blood, Sweat and Tears, formed in sixty eight, nineteen sixty eight. There've been over a hundred members. That's absolutely so. Seven of the original eight members were gone by nineteen seventy four. So that's six years. Jesus. The eighth drummer stopped playing with the band in nineteen seventy seven, but he owns the name and he's the musical director now of the band. Oh wow! And. The only constant member was um, the lead singer and he joined during the second album and he was kind of floating in and out and now he's left for good in 2004. So, right. Like, is that even a band? A hundred people have gone through, not lineups, a hundred people. Again, that to me um, is kind of your dedication the point i made earlier about supporting the individuals who are producing the music that you want to listen to you can't really gain much of a connection if you've already seen a hundred of them can you so i feel like i mean i'll I'll be completely honest to come out and say i have never ever heard of them nor have i nor have i um but that to me is like you've got to have some pretty strong hits and you've got to have some people who are just kind of not really that invested in you at all as a band, as, as a bunch of personalities. They're just kind of there for the ride. Like a cover band. Exactly. Like a function band. Exactly. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of how I see that. hundred members though. Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know how you even keep count. I don't know. What's that down to? Like creative differences, is... people dropping in and out. Like, just yeah, my mind, but um... there's there's got to be a lot of I don't know because I was going to say there's got to be a lot of tension. But if the only real member was flat, I mean, did the singer have complete control over who was coming in and out, and he kind of just don't like you, don't like you, or was it literally, literally no idea? I mean, I don't know much about the band. I never heard them until I looked them no, up. No. So it might be the case. I mean, there's definitely instances where people haven't got along with. Like it's, it's it's one person kind of spearheading the band and they haven't got along with them. And that's where they churn out loads and yeah. loads of different things. Um, that's correct. But yeah, it kind of goes down to, I don't know if you own the name, it's kind of a bit of a different thing. So like sugar babes, right? Nowhere yeah. near as many members as a hundred. So they start off with three. No. And then I think by 2012, oh, by 2009, actually, there was no original members left. So was, all three of them had left by that point. Three completely new people. Um, And then in 2012, the original members all reunite, but they don't own the name. So they go under 
Moita Kesha Shabon. Weird. Um, so it's like, oh, you're sugar babes. Yeah, but we're not. Yeah, but you are though. Yeah, but we haven't got the names. So you can't really call <laughs> us that. Um, and I think they were still playing sugar babe songs. So very strange. But I think 2015, um, Kesha secures the rights to the American trademark. Okay. Um, but they performed on UK TV shows as Sugar Babes. So I don't know whether in the intervening years since they managed to get that because um, I think the, I guess, the ori- not the original Sugar Babes, but the Sugar Babes by name, who were the three replacements, they were inactive. So maybe, maybe just in due course because it had been stopped, maybe they got it back. But they've been promising a new album since 2012, the... Um, original lineup and it's been put on hold wow but you know so like i kind of had a look into this because i think i've seen something about the marvelettes um i don't know if this is a thing for all motown groups of that era um where you know motown owns their name maybe owns their likeness um we've seen it with the jackson five or jackson five that they had to take the the out um okay and there was a point apparently where someone had procured the name, the Marvelettes and it was completely random people, all new people going around as the Marvelettes. And I think the original Marvelettes were annoyed because it was taking away their business. So they took them to court and this truth in music advertising act got built up. Um, basically what it's saying is, is that you have to have, you know, registered of the name and that at least yeah. one member of the performing group is a member of, you know, by right, it has to have one original member in it or one member of yeah. the group. Um, okay. For like live music, because it goes under false advertising. Um, and the, the, yeah, of course. And the penalty is between five and $15,000. Why? But it's not, this is only in America and not all states have agreed to this. So right. in okay. certain states, I guess, if you bought the name Leonard Skinnerd you could then just, we could just all get a ragtab group of gals and boys and get on down and we can be Lynn and Skinner and play awful, exactly, play awful versions of their songs and people be like, well, we're Lynn and Skinner. Leonard Skin the Exactly. But that makes that interesting for when you look at, you know, you look at other bands, like, you know, for me, I picked Black Sabbath for this and we're going to, we're going to choose their 1995 album because again for some reason 1995 oh. is is all there uh forbidden forbidden now, tony iomi not a big fan of this album um no i don't know whether his like mind's changed or not because he seems to i think there might be a re-release coming and i think okay. he's been like you know oh actually there were some good bits on it and all these things and he's not wrong there are some good bits on it i don't think it's as terrible as an album as everyone thinks it is. But I think having that legacy of, of Black Sabbath and what it was, and you compare it to Forbidden, it's just it's just night and day. Night and day, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So again, we both of us love Black Sabbath. Absolutely. I mean, everything's been said about them, you know? Yep. Can't, what more could we say about them? But... Um, not really they've had <laughs> not they've all. had 10 iterations they've had 10 different lineups if you look at the studio albums only way more if you look at live and bits in between the only constant is tony iomi yeah um 
And the only two times they had the same lineup after the Aussie era was for Mob Rules and Dehumanizer, which was an 11-year gap. So that was Dio, Tony Iommi, Giza Butler, Vinny Apis on drums or Apice. Don't know how to say his name without it sounding like I'm just saying piss. Um, I'm going to call him Vinny. <laughs> Vinny E. And uh, Vinster. Vin- the Vinster. And Jeff Nichols, who was like a long-time um, touring member, keyboard and guitar. Um, yep. Both really, really good records, Mob Rules and Dehumanizer. Up there. I love Up Mob there. Rules so much. So good, so good. Um, and then you have Tear and Forbidden, which was a five-year gap. So that was Tony Martin, Tony Iommi, Neil Murray, Cozy Powell, and Jeff Nichols again. So the only constants there are Iommi and Jeff Nichols. Yep. But a drastically different band with not a drastically different sound, but in terms of critical appeal, people wanting to see them, monetary appeal, all these things, vastly, vastly yeah. different. Um, I was going to pick Born Again um, with Ian Gillen, but the the problem with that album is that it it doesn't it just sounds like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath put together. He's too much of a personality. Yeah, this is this is what I mean. So when I first heard about that Ian Gillen with Black Sabbath, to me. Oh, I don't know. I feel like I want to say something along the lines of they're from the same slice of bread, but two different ends. If you see what I mean, from the, they're the same. They're a slice of the same loaf of bread, but from two different ends. To me, Ian Gillen, as you just said, is deep purple. That's who he is. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I owe me very similar as the as the whole um, Steve Harris, James Hetfield thing. You want to keep your band alive. You want to stay current. You want to put some out. Oh, everything's okay. Yeah, everything's fine. Here's the new album. Go and listen to it. Anyway, Marv, take the helm, my man. <laughs> um, so yeah, Ian Gillen was like, I was the worst singer Sabbath I've ever had. I'm totally incompatible with any music they've ever done. Um, you know, that, that spawned the Stonehenge um, parody in Spinal Tap. They even yep. they even posed with Spinal Tap and didn't realize. That's amazing. They just thought it was some sort of new band. Um, I like Zero the Hero. I grew up with the best of Black Sabbath, which is I think came out 2000. Um, I've got that somewhere, yeah. And I didn't realize these are all different singers when I first heard it. Um, okay. So I must have been about 11, probably someone like that. Um, but I like Zero yeah. the Hero, and it's it's just Paradise City. You listen to Paradise City and you listen to Zero the Hero, the vocal phrasing's the same. same the riff is very similar. It might even be the right. same key, you know. Um, but yes, so... That ain't the worst one. I think Forbidden, I mean, a quick kind of thing of, of Black Sabbath, so, you know, <clears throat> they have the Aussie era, amazing. Then our problems yeah. of Aussie, probably about technical ecstasy time. And then he leaves, and then Never Say Die comes out, very underwhelming record. Aussie then leaves, he rejoins, then leaves again. They get Dio, they do two really, really good albums, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, up there with the, with the uh, Aussie stuff. Dio then leaves, and then we start getting this kind of pattern. So then Ian Gillen comes in for Born Again, then he leaves, um, and then Tony Iommi tries to do this solo record with different singers, um, but the record label are like, not going to sell as much, should put it as Black Sabbath. So you have this weird thing, it's Seventh Star, but it's Black Sabbath yeah. featuring Tony Iommi, and it's the weird, the oddest kind of thing in their canon of just, yeah, that makes no sense. But Pretty solid album. If you 
if you remove the Black Sabbath name, really good 80s metal kind of sounding album. I think No Stranger Can to... I ask, did... Go on. Sorry, did did that album tour? Yeah. It did. Who did who did he use live? I think he had Glenn Hughes. Okay. Who recorded the album, but then I think he according to Omi did ten times as much coke as he did, and he just imploded. Jesus. I think they might have kicked him off the tour, and that's when they got maybe Ray Gillen in. Okay. Um, yeah. Then they go to record another album, Eternal Idol, Ray Gillen does the vocals. And then they have a bust up. He leaves. They get Tony Martin in, who records the vocals already been recorded. So he re-records them note for note. Goes on tour. He becomes like the saving grace, basically. Um, yeah. Do you know who the second longest serving singer is in Black Sabbath? Now you did tell me this after Ozzy. I do get the feeling it's Tony Martin, but I feel like you're going to shoot me down in flames. I can't shoot you down because you're correct. It's Tony Martin. Ah, collectively collectively go. eight years with the band so um yeah definitely and iomi just seems to like dump him every time every time something better comes along he dumps tony martin gets to someone else that implodes and he goes back and tony martin always always grabs at the carrot so yeah um they then do tear they do headless cross i think they do cross purposes yeah. they they have these good run of albums which you know um, people are se- they're selling pretty well and gaining up some momentum, but um, then you have stuff like Dehumanizer to 1992. Dio comes back. They have the same line yeah. as Mob Rules. Does really, really well. And then you have this weird thing where they get asked to support Ozzy on his, I think it was like his retirement tour at the time. Dio goes, I ain't supporting a clown. Leaves on the day of the gig. Rob Halford has to come in and do two gigs. That's so right. he's yeah, lead singer for a bit. And this happens again, I think, in 2004 for Rob Halford. Um, they do those gigs. And then, so this is like the original lineup, I assume, all with Vinny Apis. Um, did it again. Drop him, get Tony Martin back, and do Forbidden. Now, Why? The, the big thing about Forbidden is, is that they got Ernie C from Body Count to produce. Now, Body Count is uh, Ice T's like rap, heavy metal is, yeah. crossover group. Um, I've I've seen I've seen them live. Have you when? Uh, I saw them at uh, I believe it was Download. I believe it was Download. But I've definitely seen them live. And do you know what? Really good live. Though they were when I saw them. Nice. <laughs> I was I was really impressed because at the time. Young metalhead mares. Oh, what's this? No, we can't have this hip hop rubbish at a metal festival. What's this? <laughs> really impressed, mate. I was like, this is class. This works really well. And I don't know why, but it does. <laughs> anyway, please continue, Mara. If I keep interrupting. It's completely fine. I do the same. So I think the biggest bane for everybody is the IC raps on the song Illusion of Power. Um, yeah. Which, again, if we've got our demographic of of people who yeah. like Iron Maiden and like Black Sabbath and all those bands of that era. I don't oh, want yes. no rapping on my songs. Yep. And it's a big ask. Come on. It's a big ask. Um, I quite like it. It's kind of growing up with new metal and Limp Bizkit and adoring them and stuff. To me, it's, it's not that far away from it. So removed 25, 26 years from it. I'm all right about it. And I think the song, I like, really like the riff. I think the vocal melody is really good. Um, 
but generally Iommi calls it crap the whole album even down to the cover art calls it crap right. yeah um, interesting point Iommi hates it yeah that's what he said in his book Iron Man but I think now he's re-releasing it or they're going to remaster it because he's like oh there is some good stuff on there and I was like, okay. I was like Tony so- I know I'm telling you now <laughs> Tony if you're listening we know we always knew so um so on Spotify the album list goes as this well, dehumanizer <clears throat> and then the 1998 reunion yeah the live album it's not it's not on there it's not on there it's not on Spotify could that be you Tony are you are you preventing <laughs> people from listening to forbidden or or is it because as you just said he's planning to do a remaster so take that one off, put a relatively better sounding remaster on. Potato, potato. There you go. Potato, bleeding potato. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that might be down to Sharon Osbourne. She secured the name and really protected the brand after all of this. That's true. Because um, they did the reunion album, which I found a fact out that the song... Um, Selling My Soul doesn't have Bill Ward on it because the whole point was there was two album tracks with the original OG lineup and Bill Ward's only on Psycho Man. I think it's called Psycho Man. Um, It's actually a drum machine on Selling My Soul. Okay. Which is weird. You listen to it and you're kind of like, I kind of get it. You can hear the velocity not changing and maybe the plasticity. Not not a human. The the drums have been dehumanized. Oh, I like how you've done that then. Oh, he's gone in You're there. You're born for radio, I tell you. Ah, uh, you know it, kid. It. You know it. I've got a face for radio, so. <laughs> Don't be so harsh. Well, he's not there. Well, make your mind up. Ah? Uh? <laughs> There's another one. I'll tell you what, folks. This will never hit the light of day. This is definitely going to be cut. However, before we started recording this, he openly said to me, we can't have too many, my mez. We can't have too many. And he's done about 1,500, and I've done two. So uh, make your minds up. Anyway, this is going to be cut. doesn't matter. <laughs> what was your next uh, point going to be, Mark? My next point was going to be that I listened to the album uh, while okay. doing research for this, and I found it pleasant. I didn't find it terrible. I viewed it on its own merit, not your merit. Um, hey. The song um, Can Get Close Enough sounds modern for the time. It's got a great groove. It's got a really solid main riff. And it does the pickety third thing where very popular in that kind of grunge era, Alice in Chains, Nirvana, where the song sounds like it's going to go to a minor tonality, but the, the, the okay. melody goes to major. Uh, that's quite nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaking Off the Chains has like an Iron Maiden style urgency to it. And ironically okay. has like a sound garden structure in terms of like its melodic prowess. And the reason that's ironic is, is that Soundgarden were influenced by Black Sabbath. Like their whole point was, we want to be like Black Sabbath, but take all the rubbish stuff out. Um, to be fair, who doesn't want to be like Black Sabbath? That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Guilty as Hell has like a Sabotage era riff to it. Really meaty. You'll know what I mean. I would pick that one. If you're going to listen to any song, listen to Guilty as Hell. And the Kiss of Death okay. bridge section rocks my socks. That is what I've put there. I like that. Rocks my socks. I like Um, that. Rocks my socks. But, again, didn't do very well. Um, They go on tour. Tony Iommi's financing the whole tour. He gets Carpal Tunnel on his hand. They cancel the tour. And the band's kind of like broken up around 1997. um, Before, lo and behold, 
someone else comes a knock in oh look it's the reunion the classic lineup and then really we get some stability then because all yeah. the way through the 80s like 83 84 up until 95 96 97 it's just it's just not great it's just not great i think 1995 obviously as we mentioned before grunge new metal uh, a lot of things were coming to light and i think it made a lot of bands a little bit uncomfortable and I think they were trying to do things that maybe they hadn't done before or they were over trying or they were losing confidence or, I mean, there could be any number of reasons. I'm, I wasn't in Black Sabbath in 1995. I wasn't in Metallica in 1995. I wasn't in Iron Maiden in 1995. But that's that's what I think. What's your, what's your take on that, Marv? Well, I mean, don't put yourself down. You could have easily been in Iron Ma- no, in uh, Black Sabbath in 1995. <laughs> Well, I was one, but I mean, it's possible. I very, suppose. very possible. Um, I think it just comes down to stuff like they invented or pioneers of heavy metal and they popularized it and they were such an influence to all of these bands. And then the 80s hit and then rock music, as we know, metal changed. So they kind of had to change with it. But then when you've got yep. band members leaving, Ozzy is so iconic and Dio, another amazing iconic go, singer name. who think you know yeah. and then ian gilling an iconic huge singer absolutely you think that you can repeat the process and then things start crumbling i think their manager was taking a lot of their money they're getting screwed over a lot and yeah you just have to keep swimming you have to keep going and then the 90s hit well, so then grunge happens a different musical movement happens and then what do you do do you stick to your guns because you're this thing and that's what you know how to do um, it does get very hard, but I think overall, you people like the brand, people like the overarching story. You know, the rags to riches, or like from going, yeah, going rising to the top, falling down, then going back up again. You know, everyone likes a success story, and the way Black Sabbath have ended in terms of maybe touring for now was great. You know, yeah, absolutely. They didn't get they absolutely. didn't get Bill Ward back. That was quite a big like news thing when it was happening. But they got Brad Wilkin from Rage Against the Machine to record. And I haven't listened to 13. I might have to go listen to it this week. Because to me, the snippets that I heard just sounded like the first two albums. Which, again, that's a very Rick Rubin thing to do, which he produced it. Go back and listen to earlier stuff, what makes it good. But it was so nice to like see clips of the tour. And that's how Sabbath should have gone out. And they did. So that whole story yeah. is really fascinating, and that's what we're talking about. It absolutely. I mean, I know a little bit of thirteen. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you Porky Pies here, Marv. It is not Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. It is not Volume Four. It is not Sabotage. It's not Master of Reality. There's a certain charm to it. Uh, the most memorable song that pops to mind right now is um, God is Dead. Yeah. I do believe it's called. Uh, I, it's quite fair to say that, but the only thing I can really remember is part of the chorus. <laughs> but the fact that I gave it not a lot of time, and I can still remember that from a long time ago, it's got to say something. I mean, I I adore Black Sabbath, as we know. Into the Void, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started on any of those albums the aussie era albums the first five do not get me started 
What a run. What, what a run. Oh, my God. I, it, 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 to me, Black Sabbath is one of those bands that I could just... If, if somebody's got early Sabbath, like the first five albums, they go, do you want to listen to some Sabbath? I'm going to go, yeah, because <laughs> I don't care what they put on because they've got the first five albums. You put on whatever you want, son. Yeah. And do you know what? I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy it as if it was the first time I ever listened to it. And like I said, 13, uh, from what I remember, I don't hate it. But I think I'm going to join you. That means I've got to listen to three albums you, this week. You, you put yourself what in that, there? yeah. You've got to listen to three albums now. I mean, I, I mean, I can always pick one to kind of see as well, but I'm going to stick with my two. I think that'd be all right. Stick with your two. I'm going to go and listen to X Factor, S&M, and, uh, and, and 13. Yeah, I'm going to have a go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the story of Sabbath is really interesting. And Iomi being the primary songwriter, I think if he left it would crumble completely. So absolutely, I guess that's a saving grace in that regard. Um, obviously, Geezer wrote the lyrics. Ozzy came up with melodies. Amazing. Bill Ward is, is Bill Ward. But, Bill Ward's um, class. You know, look at the photos, which I, you know, we were looking at earlier. Like, they, they yeah. reconvened for Live Aid. So Geezer Butt had left in 1984. Um, and at this point, it was just Tony Martin and no original members. They reunite for Live Aid, OG lineup. Um, Bill Ward, like you described, looked like a child addressed him. He genuinely does. I'm <laughs> sorry, Bill, but you do, son. <laughs> Ozzy's kind of like very relaxed. It's almost like he's wearing like a kimono thing and very, very permed up hair. Yeah. Uh, very well did. Geezer's kind of looking like Rod Stewart. Yeah. Red from the, the red. bottom down. Yeah. I respect the dedication of the red shoes and the red trousers, but they don't go well with purple. Come on, geezer. Sort it out. <laughs> Come son. on, mate. Go back to 985 and sort it out. Um, and Iomi, just, yeah, very flary jacket. Very, very, yeah. that, even that's the OG lineup, they look nothing like what I envision Black Sabbath look like, in, especially in the no. 70s run. But again, they do that. They split off, do the separate things. I think Geezer then comes back, but then leaves within the year. And you go to the a year later, and yeah. it's Tony Iommi and random people. Jeff Nichols on the side, long time keys. Tony Martin in the middle, and I don't even know the other two people, to be honest with you. Eric Singer, uh, the drummer, who would be eventually be the drummer for Kiss. Um, but, you know, essentially, who are these people? I, I don't even know. That's not even Black Sabbath, looking at that. No. Like, it's Tony Iommi. I get that, but it just doesn't... Nothing about that screams to me Black Sabbath. No, not at all. They, Interestingly enough, I I have a magazine talking about the, the early birth of metal. Yeah. And the photo before me looks very much like... You know when you hear of those those bands that did so much for a genre, but don't really exist anymore, and they only existed for like a year or two? Yeah. That's what that photo looks like to me. As you said, you don't see that photo and go, ah, Black Sabbath. You see that photo and go, ah, Tony Iommi and his mates at the pub having a drink. Why is he wearing makeup? <laughs> you know what I mean? No no judgment, Tony. Please keep writing riffs. Never stop. Oh, but, never um, stop the riffs. Never stop. Never stop. <laughs> there was a funny anecdote. Um, they were on a tour and they were playing... 
see if I can find the notes. There we go. They were playing a they were playing a gig and Tony Martin had jumped off the stage in between the barrier where the audience and the stage is. Yeah. Before he could start running around, security picked him up and chucked him out because they thought he was a fan that got on the stage. Wow. And he had to say to them, No, I'm the singer. And they were like, Yeah, of course you are, mate. Yeah, right. He's like, No, I'm the oh. singer. Like because apparently he was getting an ego at that point according to Naomi and you know, showing people like recording like that's me singing. But like, imagine that, like you're That's... you're in Black Sabbath, you're the second longest serving member, uh, singer, and you're not even recognised. That's that's awful. That is awful. Like, like you you can't even fathom that, can you? No, dude, I'm sorry. That's awful. I can't think of another instance where that's happened. Um, there is. That's that's got to leave a bad taste in the mouth, hasn't it? Really. I mean, bear in mind that he'd been in the band since what eighty-seven. Um, Jesus. And they toured a lot, and they've yeah. done a lot of albums. So, like, people going to see Sabbath shows would know that he's the maybe, singer. Maybe lay off him a bit. Maybe give him a little, be a little bit nicer to the people trying to create the art that you want to consume. Exactly. I think, again, everything is all context, and some people just listen to music and don't go in-depth about it, but someone like me, someone like you, I want to know the backstory. I want to know what albums they had before and after that album. I just want to, I want to know everything about the band members to get more engrossed in it, to, to just f- further my experience of yeah. that record, of Absolutely. the band. Absolutely, and this is, this is where context comes into play and why it's so important. Um, Absolutely. I think that's it in terms of the albums I can think of, the albums I want to discuss. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have any albums. I do have one more band. I'd oh, like here we to go. Bring here up we go. In terms of lineup changes and integral, and okay. we really are going to have to think about wrapping it up soon because we've been here for nearly three hours. Oh yeah, so you know we're going to make this probably into a bit about an hour, maybe yeah. an hour ten, but. We're coming up to three hours, definitely. So uh, it's going to be we... fun. It's going to be fun for me editing this. <laughs> so the last band I have are coincidentally the first band I ever got into, Status Quo. Wee. So for those of you who don't know, I'm sure you all know, but for those of you who don't, Status <laughs> Quo is obviously a hard rock boogie band that started in the late 60s. Um, they have notable number ones, but today we're going to discuss their '80s weird phase. It was it was interesting. A lot of cocaine was um, was consumed, but yeah, so they had a weird phase in the '80s. Um, we've discussed Margarita time before. Terrible. Marv hates it. I am not averse to it. I'm this not averse to it. You, you, get, you. Get, give me in the army now over that so much. <laughs> in the army now, what a bop. What a banger. That is a good bop. I'll give you that. But Margarita, so Marv would have got on well with the bassist, the original bassist, a guy called Alan Lancaster, because he oh, yeah. also hated Margarita. Good guy. Good guy. But, I mean, things were kind of going downhill anyway before that. So there's a video on top of the pops of when they released Rockin' All Over the World. And there's a there's a puppet of him. Like, an actual puppet of him whilst they're 
miming rocking all over the world. Very weird. Wow. But anyway, so bassist Alan Lancaster, I've, I've had enough of this. And Margarita Time and that whole period lost a lot of hardcore Quo fans. They're, a lot of people couldn't get on with that. Mm. Um, they did a reunion tour in 2013 where it was just the four of them being the original lineup, Rick Parfit, Francis Rossi, Alan Lancaster, and a guy called John Coglin, who I've met, the original drummer. And, um, yeah, that was actually mostly good. I won't lie. It was okay. It was okay. Um, but, yeah, now I feel like, because they're still releasing albums, and actually, I believe Backbone was their latest, and I don't hate it. It's okay. They broke the Guinness World Record to be the only band to have a number one in every single decade since 1960, I believe. Oh, amazing. Um, which is not something a lot of people know. But, yeah, it's now it's kind of the, the Francis Rossi show, I think. You know? It's... Yeah, I mean, that's all he knows. Like, you know, that's his life. That's it. That's and it. Why, and, and again, why should he stop his job? No. You know, that he's earned, he's earned a good living from and he's earned that um reputation and earned the right that's what i was going for he earns the right to do that it's just yeah. should he do it under status quo's name should he go solo instead and kind of build it around that and still play the songs but then is he then degrading the name of status quo or the band of status quo you know does he just stay a status quo it's, it's kind of hard to say yeah that is that is very much a case of Mm. It, it all depends how you quantify it. Again, it, it doesn't offend me. In actual fact, um, before COVID hit, I'm sure, I'm sure everybody's aware of that. Um, <laughs> I was actually planning on going and seeing them at the Bath Forum uh, last October. Or banging out uh, Suzanne, whoever her name is. Suzanne. <laughs> What's um, her name? Rochelle. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Come on, sweet Rochelle. <laughs> You're my... Yeah, uh, I'd like to see him just one more time. Banging out the hits. Just one more time. Because before long, there's going to be another acoustic album. Do not talk to me about the acoustic status quo albums. We'll get on to stuff like that. We'll get on to stuff like that. Reimagining of songs. <sighs> well, I'll, I'll just give episode. a little... Just a little precursor. I think the best song on a quo stick, right, is So yeah, that's what I think. That's what I think. That's my opinion. Uh not everyone's, but that's mine. And I'm entitled to it. Oh, I can't wait for that episode. That's gonna be great. Yes. Yeah, I, I can wait for it, funnily enough. <laughs> but yeah. So that that was my last band. I'm all out of bands. I'm never out of bands. We could be here for another four could be here for ages. Uh, an honourable mention I'll say is Fleetwood Mac Time, which oh yes, guess, you wanted to yes. Guess what year that came out in? Oh, I don't know, Marv. Was it 1995? Yeah, I think it was 1995. So Interesting. It's a testament that you got to get two <laughs> guitarists to replace one guitarist. We can all see why. Has anybody heard Lindsay Buckingham? We can all see why. So good. So good. So this has happened now recently because he's he's quit the band and they've got um, 
guy from Crowded House and the guy from Tom Petty in. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but they got Stevie Nicks. But at this point, this is 1995, so Stevie Nicks had gone, Lindsay Buckingham yeah. had gone, Christine McVie had quit touring in 1990, okay. I assume was still recording. So you've got Dave Mason from Traffic, uh, Becca Bramlett was the woman who's singing, um, and if I can find the... No, I'm not using uh, Wikipedia. What are you on about? Oh, that could be incorrect. <laughs> Everything can change could, that. Be, could be incorrect. That's fine, that. Just do some more of the band shit. Let's get through this. <laughs> so, Billy Burnett was the guitar player. Um, and Becca Bramlett was now the singer. So, they were, repl- they were replacing Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks, respectively, on top of Dave Mason also um, replacing Buckingham. And the album is weird. I bet. It sounds like a country album. It sounds very of the time. You know what I feel like about saxophone, right? So, Oh, yeah. I don't mind the saxophone as a musical instrument. I think in lie. jazz songs, it ain't a lie. I think in jazz songs, I think in its bright context, it's good. There's a few pop songs, Callous Whisper, True, Baker Street, oh. Quintessential. You need the saxophone. Anything else doesn't sound right. But anytime there's a saxophone solo on any song, I'm automatically thinking B&Q Garden Center. I'm looking at some hydrangeas <laughs> thinking, how much is this compost? I've got to try and put it on the car. What am I doing? Oh, it's too much. What's the point? They're relieving. I can't stand it. So this album doesn't have any saxophone, but all the music sounds like it should have saxophone on it. So it's yeah. ultimately just as bad in my head. Um there are a couple of good songs. There's a acoustic song called, called, I'll get there. I want to say it's called Dream in the Dream. Um, it's lovely. It's very, very nice. It's very okay. Good, you know, good kind of dual guitar playing. Down for it. But everything else, like there's a really, really dated electric piano sound on it. Um, it just sounds very oh just very dated just very slick very yeah soulless i think it's very soulless okay Nothing that they're really saying is meaningful especially for a band like fleetwood mac where you know you look at rumors how feelings is, is that? everything yeah feeling is everything in that band definitely um, and then there's a last the last track these strange times mick fleetwood actually does some spoken word on it i i don't mind it it's got a good atmosphere to it but as a whole if i had to sum up what a band Versus something like Forbidden, where it still sounds like Black Sabbath. Yeah. Even if the singer sounds different, it still sounds like Black Sabbath. This album, to me, does not sound like Fleetwood Mac. The Christy McVie songs that are on here kind of do. Um, they're very, very dated. And the interesting thing there is that she did her songs in a different studio and used a session guitarist. Okay. So they got these two new guitarists that, that aren't even on the whole album. And then you're listening to someone else playing, and it's just like, what's what's the point? What is the point? That's a bit odd. Um, yes. This lineup, I think, split within a year anyway. Um, Buckingham and Nicks came back. They did the dance album, big success. That's how it should be. Yeah. Um, I wish I wish Lindsey Buckingham would come back, but again, I'm not in that band, and 
oh, it must be so, so many awkward dynamics in that band, but not, not their greatest, but Fleetwood yeah. Mac are very much ups and downs. Um, but still, I think that's the most impact I've seen on a band in terms of band members changing. Um, so there you go. Okay. Nice. Um, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Good little episode there. So hope that was somewhat informative. I think we did waffle on for way too long, but I mean, we'll make yeah. it work in the edit. Um, and as a little send off, I'm going to play a little song that I produced back in probably 2009 or 10. I made the beat uh, for my friend JM. I think it goes under the nice one JM. I'll put a link in some sort of description somewhere. Um, but it's called Real Recognize Real. I quite like the beat. Very uh, cool. One of, the, one of the best ones I feel like I did hello. when I first started hello, making hello. beats. Yeah. And um, enjoy it. Or not, up to you. Let us know if there's any other bands we've missed out with band member changes that are drastic. If there's anything you can figure out that's more than 100, that would be good. And we'll be back next week for another one. So, yeah. Love that. See you later then. When my lyrics is up, what 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 what? When my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up, what 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 what? When my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up, what 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 what? When my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up, when my lyrics is up. When did you fall in love with hip-hop? Years 99, age 11 Wanted something more than Top of the Pops Needs a tray ridge, was the best stop Cop the illest hip-hop New album in the woman with that pocket money What? Over a decade later, grab a mic Rock a party, put me on Peace, love, union Having fun like KRS-One Who am I? The MC, master of the ceremony What you gonna do like Joe Felony? Believer in God, unlike Richard Dawkins Get the crowd screaming like Jay Hawkins Walking, grab the mic, the clutch fist Never spoken for, don't need Need a ventriloquist. Hip hop, recognize I love it, man. Don't, Don't look now, I end up like Donald Sutherland. Question that? No, no doubt. doubt, like soap. I'm a useless bar to wash your mouth out. Real, recognize real. We're still rocking mic, whether have a deal or no deal. Keeping ear to the underground like John Peel, like Cheryl Lynn. It's got to be real. Real, recognize real. We're still rocking mic, whether have a deal or no deal. Keeping ear to the underground like John Peel, like Cheryl Lynn. It's got to be real. Don't watch the throne, no clone. I do not condone weak shit in my zone. Give me the microphone first, a bit of smoke. D-O double G Trow bridge in the house Now you know you in trouble against me Yo G Wagwan Call me cheesy, slap in my face, call it Parmesan. Day and free, falling like Jerry Maguire. Daughters by my side to keep me inspired. Classic, like vinyls and cassettes. Is he don't you what I know? Like Alanis Morissette. Stay focused, try not to get stressed. Out like a tribal quest. And I still have faith like Evans. One day united in the kingdom of heaven. If I blow up and get seen everywhere, like being John Malkovich, still be John Murphy. Let the haters bitch. Real recognize real. We're still rockin' mic, whether have a deal or no deal Keepin' ear to the underground like John Peel, like Cheryl Lynn It's got to be real Real, recognize real We're still rockin' mic, whether have a deal or no deal Keepin' ear to the underground like John Peel, like Cheryl Lynn It's got to be real Some have no class and some ain't a sick Where's the classics? Do the arithmetic, rhythmatic Shock like static, bump fat shit Third verse in the back of the net Like a hat trick, married with kids Gonna live with mum and dad forever First flat was peak Like kids you wear a new era 
Super bad like Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah skate the streets, but we'll love to skate the barracks with Barrett Styles. Raw, upset, ugly toffs at Ascot. Put egg on my face, swinging like John Prescott. Life's a test, Abraham tested by God. Drank in town, never zoning on cards. Seen orange wannabe wags looking like David Dickinson. Shit, the tan in bed, real shit. I'm kicking, son. Disagree with three fourths of the British public requisite of sanity. Oscar Wilde for your pub quiz. Real recognise, real. We're still rocking Mike, whether have a deal or no deal. Keeping here to the underground like John Pill, like Cheryl Lynn. It's got to be real. Real recognise, real. We're still rocking Mike, whether have a deal or no deal. Keeping here to the underground like John Pill, like Cheryl it's got to be real. Sounds like the one I heard yesterday. No? No. Yes, what is it? May I have your autograph? Autograph? I can't write, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I'm very busy. I've come a long way, you know. Yes. Equally long way to go back, too, isn't it? Yes. Goodbye.